0: Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at the first 5 verses tonight. I want to just give a little background about Corinth, the Corinthians, Paul, kind of his ministry there. So as we start to work our way through these first verses, we know kind of what's going on. So Paul is ministering in the city of Corinth. And I, If you don't know, Paul is the one who established the church in Corinth, and he spent two years laboring there. That's when you read the story of Paul, that he was laboring in a city as a tent maker. That was Corinth. He was there. That's where he met met Priscilla and Aquila, very close friends, actually co-laborers in the gospel with Paul. We know that they were very near and dear to his heart, and he was ministering to the people of Corinth. And listen, Corinth was not an easy place to minister. If you were called in the ministry, that was not like at the top of your like, you know where I'd like to go? I'd like to go to Corinth to minister to those guys. Corinth was a, was a commercial city. It was located on the Aegean Sea. It was a seaport, so there's a lot of commerce. There's a lot of movement. It was a rich city. It was a beautiful city, And the people loved philosophical debate. If you were a debater, that's where you wanted to be. You wanted to to go and do that. And it was a city known for its pleasure. Pagan worship was the center. And most notably was the worship of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. So that sexual pleasure, all that, that's where you would fulfill it. It was said that in the temple in Corinth of Aphrodite, there were 10,000 temple prostitutes. So, you know, this was not the place where you're like, I want to raise my kids here. You didn't. You didn't want to do that. But here's what I love. In the midst of all those things going on, in the midst of all that idolatry, that sensual environment, that that push for, for philosophy, God was at work. God was at work through Paul to reach the lost of Corinth. And that's what the Lord wants to do with each and every one of us. He wants to use us wherever we are or wherever he may want to send you. He wants to use you to minister, to reach the lost. It's a calling that we all have. Well, After Paul had labored there for a couple of years, he headed to Ephesus. That was the next stop for him. And Paul learned in a little bit of time that there were some major problems that had entered the church. So he sat down and he penned not this letter, but which one do you think? First Corinthians. Good job. Bible scholars. First Corinthians. And he was doing that to correct the problems that were going on that had infected the church. And the thing was that letter was not well received because we all love a course of correction, right? The letter was not well received, and it did not produce the results that Paul had hoped it would. Paul hoped it would produce repentance in the heart of the Corinthians. There were divisions going on. There were issues within the church that had to be confronted and dealt with. They didn't want to. And so he then revisited Corinth. To, to, and he found out when he went there again that the issues had grown so big. You want to know what happened? He wasn't even welcome in the church that he had planted. Can you imagine? He wasn't welcome, so he left. He went back to Ephesus and he wrote a second letter, which was now this letter. It was a letter we don't have. It's referenced in 2 Corinthians, but we know that it was a sharp letter. It was a sharp rebuke. And Paul rebuked them for the things that they had allowed to happen and come into the church. And Paul sent this letter by the hand to Titus. Can you imagine being Titus? Knowing the content of that letter, Paul wraps it up. You're like, man, I would hate to receive that letter. He's like, well, good news, Titus, you get to deliver it to him. I'm like, I don't want to deliver that letter. They didn't like your first one. Imagine what they're going to think. So Titus delivers that letter to them. And then later, Paul is waiting. He doesn't know. He regretted actually writing the letter. And again, as you read 2 Corinthians, you see that. He wrote that letter to them. And he's like, oh man, that was a little severe. And he's waiting in Macedonia, and Philippi. And Titus comes to meet him, to let him know that that letter served its purpose, and they repented. And from Philippi, Paul wrote, what we have here today, 3 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And as you read this letter, and I'd, I'd encourage you after tonight, throughout this week, or over the next week, finish this up. It's not a long letter. Read 2 Corinthians, uh, and you will see that this is probably one of the most personal and emotional letter that we have of the Apostle Paul. You know that saying that he wears his heart on his sleeve? This is a letter. You want to see the heart of Paul ministering, the things that he suffered, despaired about, hurt, everything, is penned right here. And so when these guys receive this letter, you can only imagine, in my mind, it's just it's covered in Paul's tears. He's, he's poured it out before them. And so here as we get ready to start and we look at these first few verses, what we're gonna see is the boundless mercy and comfort of God towards us through our suffering. And what we're going to see also is that suffering and comfort has a purpose. So let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. grace to you and peace from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ Jesus. Amen? So verses 1 and 2, not laboring long here, we've got Paul's typical greeting. And what we see here clearly is that Paul is what? Paul is an apostle of Jesus, and this was by the will of God. We see that Timothy is with him. And we see that this is a letter addressed to the church in Corinth, but it's also to the saints in Achaia. And if you looked at a map of Greece, you would see Corinth up there on the Aegean Aegean Sea. And you would see that whole province and region is this. So this letter would have been passed around to the other churches or house churches in that region. And Paul here simply desires that the grace and the peace of our Lord would be upon them. And shouldn't that always be our desire for our brothers and sisters? That as we think upon them, that our desire is that his grace and that his peace would be upon them. I want that. I can't speak for anybody else here. I want that. But if I pop into your mind, I'm all for you wanting the grace and the peace to be upon me. As I think you would for yourself. And and so he that's his typical introduction. So in verse 3, we see Paul break out into a little session of praise. So I want to read verse 3 again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's praise. Blessed. He's immediately breaking out into into thanksgiving, into praise to the Lord. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And we need to understand, Paul is praising Jesus in the midst of great distress. Let's just look down real quick at verses 8 and 9. Look at what's happened, happening in the life of Paul. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. I mean, just think about what he's saying. Here's the measure, and I'm burdened beyond that, right? And so he says that, and we were burdened beyond strength. Here's my strength, and it's beyond strength, so that we despaired even of life. That doesn't sound like an easy situation. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul is going through a hard time. And what I like is that Paul is teaching us and setting a pattern for us to follow, actually here at the beginning of verse 3, that the Lord is always worthy to be worshiped. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are in life. Jesus is always worthy of your worship. Did you know we can experience joy and affliction? They sound like polar opposites, don't they? I want affliction so I can experience joy. No, it doesn't sound right but we can experience joy in the affliction and we experience joy when we set our hearts to worship the Lord no matter what because we know he's worth it. It's gonna bring joy into your heart. And that just, it raises a question. Are we faithful worshipers of the Lord no matter what the circumstances are in life? Are you a faithful worshiper when things become difficult, when everything feels like it's pressing in around you, are you like, I want to just be on my knees before the Lord and praise him? Because this is the thing, guys. Our circumstances, they're constantly changing. I don't know about I mean, they're just, they're moving all the time. So they're changing, but is your worship steady? Are you still just like, I want to worship the Lord. And Paul says, you want to experience great joy in the storms of life, you want to experience the Lord when you're in difficulties, worship Him. Worship Him. It's, it's where Paul goes. He wants to worship the Lord. And here's the thing: you can't worship the Lord with a bad attitude. It doesn't work. Can you imagine? Oh, thank you for your mercy. <laughs> doesn't even sound right. Oh, you're so gracious. You can't worship the Lord with a bad attitude. It doesn't work. So as you begin to worship the Lord, it's going to reset your heart. It's going to refocus where you're looking because where are you looking? Not at your circumstances. You're looking at Jesus. Worship. Be a worshiper. Worship the one whose eye is ever upon you, whose ear is attentive to your crying out. And worship will fill your heart with gladness. Do you want a heart of gladness? Worship the Lord. Well, let's continue. He goes on there in verse 3, and it says what in the second part of verse 3? That he is the father of mercies. And I just want to note real quick the word father. Father being used here is not in the sense of him as our heavenly father, but father is being used in the sense that he is the father of, or the author of, or source from where all mercy flows. He is the source from where all mercy flows. And so what this is saying is God does not just simply exercise mercy. What it's actually saying is God is mercy. That's a big difference. God is mercy. He's the author of it. He's the source from where it flows, which raises the question to me, what exactly is mercy? What exactly is mercy then? Because mercy we see here is not singular, is it? It says he's the father of mercies, plural. And the thing is, we've simplified mercy, haven't we? We've all heard this. It is not getting what you deserve. And it's true. It's true in a sense. But I want us to look, it's going to be up here, at what Mr. Webster in 1828 decided to do when he defined the word mercy. Because it's radical. Are you ready? Mercy. Mr. Webster says it is that benevolence mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves, the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than what the law or justice will warrant. And in this sense, look at this, there is perhaps no other word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. It implies benevolence. It implies tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion and clemency. And it is exercised only towards offenders. And mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Or to say, God. Did you notice something about mercy there, though, at the end? It was was fascinating to me. Mercy is unilateral. It's one way. And it's always one way. And it's never directed at the person who has been offended. It's only directed at the offender. Love can be reciprocal. Grace, too. Forgiveness, Same, mercy, no. And who is mercy? God is mercy. And you know, I I can imagine the offenses I have piled up, and yet we read in Lamentations 3, what? That his mercies are anew every morning. What an encouragement that is, isn't it? That his mercies are anew every morning. So think about what that says, even in the context of this definition. His mercies are anew every morning, which means that his benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves, and the disposition that tempers justice, induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries, and to forbear punishment or inflict less than what the law or justice would warrant, is new every morning every morning towards you and i from our heavenly father and what that simply says is you or i cannot exhaust his mercy you cannot wear it out we cannot exhaust his mercy and do you know what else we read about god's mercy micah 7:18 Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he does not retain his anger forever because, why? He delights in mercy. You can't exhaust his mercy, and it's something that he delights in doing. I mean, listen, pick up your Bible, read it from beginning to end, and you're going to read passage after passage after passage of God's mercy towards you and I. You see his mercy from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, don't we? And God sacrifice the animal to cover them for their sins. And then we read later in Romans that while we were still sinners, while we were still the ones that were offending God, who died for us? Christ died for us. For our offense. How merciful, because that's the death that you and I deserve. It wasn't the death that Jesus deserves. God delights in mercies. And do you know what we never read? We don't read that he delights in judgment. We never read that he delights in judgment. Now listen, we know he's going to judge. We know he is holy. And he will never ever waver from his standard of holiness. He hates sin and he will judge it. But we never read that he delights in judgment. But what we do read is that he delights in mercy. He loves us, and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save us, to rescue us. That's John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you and I, that believeth in him, shall not perish, perish but have everlasting life. And what we need to remember also on this theme of mercy is that we have been called to hold that same standard of mercy in our lives. We need to understand as believers, mercy is not an option. You, know, you can't just run around being, like, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. Well, do you have the Holy Spirit? Well, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can walk in mercy. And as his mercy generously flows to us, then it should flow through us towards one another. And the Bible's clear on this. Luke 6:36. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It doesn't say try to be, or you should be. It says be merciful. It is who you are going to be. Be merciful. Delight yourself in mercy, because the Lord knows that we are always delighted to receive it. Amen? Well, let's keep moving. He is not only the father of mercies, but he is the God of all comfort who in verse four comforts us in all our tribulation. Comfort is more than just relief from suffering from a trial. That's part of it. But the word actually carries the idea of encouragement and strengthening. And as we see here, Paul traces all of his comfort to where? Paul traces all of his comfort right back to God. All of his comfort is there. And whether that was from God directly or through another person the Lord used to comfort him, all the comfort he received was from the Lord. And as we read this section, it should bring such encouragement and strengths to our heart because we realize that there is no trial or hardship that we can face or that we can endure in this life that the tender comfort of our Lord and Savior cannot reach and cover. Nothing. It reaches everywhere. Anything that you are experiencing. His comfort can reach the most despairing situation of your life. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling lonely, anxious, depressed, overwhelmed physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you feel like you've just simply reached your end. Just like Paul's saying in verses 8 and 9 here. He reached the end. The Lord met him and filled him with his comfort. And he writes about it. He tells us it will reach you. There's nothing that his comfort cannot cover. You know, I can't imagine trying to navigate this day and age without the Lord and his encouraging and strengthening comfort. I can't imagine doing this apart from the Lord. And in the second part here of verse 4, we learn that God's comfort is never meant to end with you and I. We're not just simply receptacles of his comfort. We're like, give me more. Give me more. I just want more. There's a purpose in us being comforted. His comfort should stir our hearts of compassion to pass it on to others. That's the purpose. Our personal experience of God's sustaining comfort in our trials enables us to comfort others. I mean, our good times don't comfort the brokenhearted, you know, that are hurting. Nobody who is struggling and despairing wants to hear how wonderful things are going for you. That's not a comfort. In Romans 12, 15, Paul says what? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Match the situation. Don't match weeping with your rejoicing. It's not going to go over well. It's not going to be comforting. We weep with those who weep. We meet them where they are at. We come alongside them. We love them through it, just as the Lord has done with each one of us. And this is the thing, guys. Experience is the great teacher, isn't it? Experience is the teacher. And that comfort that we experience not only encourages and strengthens us in the trial, but it's equipping us. It's the great teacher. Suffering equips you and I. It's in that suffering. Suffering draws us to God. It should. should should be running. If you're suffering, don't run. Unless you're running to him. Suffering should draw us to God. It brings us to his feet. And in that moment we demonstrate our utter trust and dependence upon him to carry us through. It's in that moment that he sweeps down and he envelops us in his comfort. It's when we come to the end of ourselves. I can't do anything else. And he just comes and he rescues us where we're at. And we find that rest and peace that lies only in him. Suffering is what equips you and I to sympathize with one another. It's what allows us to minister. It is what allows us to comfort others at a completely different level. And this is the thing, nothing will give you a greater heart of compassion towards someone than to watch them walk through a trial or a difficulty that you have personally experienced. Nothing. Man, I remember when we were pregnant with, with, with our daughter, Isabel, and there's a lot of excitement around a baby, isn't there? He's just like, ooh, got a baby coming. Don't know what it is, right? 20 weeks, you're going, I don't know what I'm having. But you got ideas, right? Because we all think we know. Because we're doctors. We don't know. And then you get to around week 20. And they're like, we're going to tell you what you're having. It's exciting. And so we go in to find out what we're having. We find out we're having a little girl. But then the doctors keep coming in and out. In and, out and they're like measuring and doing things. We're like, well, this is weird. And then they're like bringing a waiver over to sign. Because they want to do an amniocentesis. And they could accidentally damage your baby. And they don't want to have any responsibility if they do. And you realize something's wrong. And it's stressful right because that joy that circumstance that was going to be so joyful is immediately robbed by something's wrong with your baby and it changes in that moment and that joy turns to sorrow and then you run to Jesus and I just remember just as we we began to walk through the next few months and nothing was changing and you're just dependent upon the Lord And the Lord did an amazing thing in that we just saw his working, but the comfort that he gave us through that. But I'll tell you what, whenever I hear of somebody that's having a baby and something happens, man, your heart, it just breaks for them. You sympathize in a way that you never would had you not experienced yourself. And God enables you. He has equipped you through your own suffering to meet those people where they're at and to love them and to comfort them with his comfort. It's not yours. It's his comfort that you get to bless them with. Well, verse five, we'll close here, mostly because I'm not sure wherever we're at with the time. I know somebody's gonna yell at me. But let's read it again. Verse 5. For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation now abounds through Christ. And Paul here shows that his suffering was for what? It's for the gospel. It's for Christ. And he suffered a lot. I mean, you guys can, if you read 2 Corinthians, if you want to just skip, be like, what did Paul suffer? Go to chapter 11, go ahead and read the end. If you guys read the end of chapter 11, be like, I would love to do that. Well, you got a different issue to deal with. There's not a person reading the end of chapter 11 and be like, that's what i like to sign up for. I want to suffer like Paul. We would avoid everything that he dealt with. I don't want to be flogged. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't want to be hanging out in the sea for a few days and think about my decisions. None of that stuff. And I don't think any of you do. So we know Paul has suffered a lot. and But what we see is the more, that more than just the suffering that abounded in his life, what did he say? That the consolation of Christ abounded even all the more. So even though he had to experience and go through all those things, he could look and go, yeah, but guess what? The comfort of Christ abounded. That's his heart. And I think there's something important we should note about consolation. Consolation does not mean that our circumstances have necessarily changed. Don't ever confuse that. A change in circumstance is not always the answer of the Lord. It may not change. Because here's the thing. If you read the life of Paul going through just acts and the epistles and the things that happened, I don't see a lot of change in Paul's life as he faithfully served the Lord. It seems like it was a rough go kind of from start to finish. His circumstances didn't change. But what's amazing is as you read and as you look at Paul and in his attitude towards his suffering, later in chapter 4 here, he says it's just but a light affliction. In Romans, he says, Matt, my suffering's just momentary. Because in his mind, it's nothing compares to the glory that awaits. He's so heavenly minded about that. It didn't affect him, so he was rendered useless here. He was a servant of the Lord while he was here. But his mind was set on heaven, so anything that he encountered in his life, is like, that's just a light affliction. Yeah, I know they whipped me 40 times. It hurt a little. I don't want to do it again but it was a light affliction because he could see the glory to come. One day, he he knew what awaited. He would be face-to-face with Jesus, with his Lord and Savior for all of eternity. And he's going, what on this earth compares to that which awaits? Man, that needs to be our perspective. When we struggle, when we're hurting, when we're having a hard time, Look what awaits you. Heaven is what awaits. Jesus in his arms wide open. That's what awaits for all of eternity. Compare that to whatever it is. It's going to be wonderful. Set your heart, set your mind on heaven. And listen... Our circumstances may not change for a while, or even some cases, they don't change at all on on, on earth, right? We can have a sickness that we don't, we can't seem to get rid of the illness or a situation in life that just seems to persist, but... What we learn, and this should be just a great encouragement, is God wants to console us right in the middle of the storm or the situation we face, and he will do it through Christ. That's what he wants you to know. You're not going to leave the situation. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to meet you right where you're at. And I'll bring you such comfort. Such peace that you'll find joy in the moment. That you'll be able to rejoice. That you'll be able to worship. And you'll want to and you'll do it wholeheartedly. Because he consoled you through Christ. And here's the thing, when we feel overwhelmed, Christ will overwhelm you with his love and his grace and his mercy. He's going to overwhelm you with his kindness and his tenderness sometimes he just simply overwhelms us with his presence have you ever had those moments where you're just going through things and you just maybe you're just cranking the worship or you're just in prayer and you just so sense the presence of the Lord and you kind of have that moment just like I think I'm just tasting heaven here for a second and it just overwhelms you. It's, it's, it's wonderful. He overwhelms us with his presence. And he takes care of our hearts. And he fills us with his comfort. That's the Lord. That's whom the Savior is. You serve. That's how much he loves you. And that's when you can look at it and you go, yeah, the suffering may abound. But that comfort is going to abound all the more. For Christ. So as we close here, just reflect back on just kind of what we've talked about. First, are we worshiping? Are we faithfully worshiping the Lord no matter the circumstances of our life? Does worship mark your life? Would, would you just be known as a worshiper of the Lord? Because worship will greatly affect our attitude in the difficult stance, uh, circumstances of life. As we center our hearts uh, and minds upon the Lord, he is always worthy of our worship. That's just the bottom line. We just come to the place where we're like, you're always worthy of our worship. And secondly, Do you delight in mercy? Are you looking for justice? Are you looking for your rights? You've been wronged and you want what's right to be righted. Do you delight in mercy? Our Heavenly Father delights in it. He pours it out in your life. He pours it out in my life. And what we have freely received from him, we freely have received his mercy, so we should do what? Freely give it. We should freely give it. And it is so sweet to be the recipient of mercy, isn't it? When we've really messed up. It is so sweet. I have never heard anybody go, I don't want your mercy. Give me justice. Nobody asks for justice. Take a day and sit in a courtroom and show me one person who's like, ah, your honor, I would love a little justice today, please, in my life. They plead for mercy. It's so sweet. Be a vessel of God's mercy to others because we've been called to it. And lastly, as you've been comforted through difficult seasons of your life by the Lord or the Lord has used a brother or sister to comfort you, I want to encourage you. Look for opportunities to be a comfort to others. It's so easy for you and I to get focused on our own life and my things, the things that I need to do that I may need to accomplish that we miss so many opportunities. That comfort that you received was fantastic in the moment. But remember, just as it says here, that comfort has a purpose. Its purpose is for you to use that comfort to bless and to minister to the lives of one of your brothers or sisters, to somebody that's hurting, even the lost. Imagine comforting somebody who doesn't know the Lord with his comfort, a supernatural comfort, how that may impact their lives. Be willing, be looking. You can't have your head down in your phone or in whatever it is all day long and expect somebody who needs to be comforting to come between you and that item. Have your head up. Look at people's facial expressions. They say a lot. Sometimes we see it, we're just like, how are you doing? And we say it generally, don't we? And we just want somebody to say good so we can move on. Right? Let's be honest. Because we don't have the time. So heaven forbid somebody say, I'm doing terrible. Look for it. Look through what's actually being said. Look to the heart. Be led of the spirit. Lord, I want to be your comfort Bring me someone, pray for it, and be used by the Lord. Are you looking for opportunities? Are you? Do you want to be used? I mean, look at the world around. People are hurting. People feel alone. People are struggling and dealing with anxiety, depression, and so many things. Do you want to comfort them? with the comfort which you have been comforted with? Do you want to encourage the life of one of your brothers and sisters? Do you want to strengthen them in their walk with the Lord? Meet them where they are. And you can't meet anybody where they are if you're not looking for the opportunity. Life is hard. And we're a family Are we not? We're the family of God. Be a comfort to your family. But if you're here tonight, and maybe you're that person, you're just going, Jamie, you know, I would like to, but I am just feeling so overwhelmed in my own life. I've got so many things going on. I just feel weighed down by the circumstances of my life. Or maybe you even hear it and some of it's self-inflicted. You're like, Jay, I'm just, I'm walking in sin. Repent. That one's, it. you just, you repent and be restored. So what? So that the times of refreshing can come in from the Lord. But if you're struggling and you just need that fresh touch or comfort from the Lord tonight, Come. Come and come up front. The pastors are going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. And let us pray for you. Let the Lord strengthen and encourage you through the sweetness of his comfort again. Let those times of refreshing come in. Amen? And Father, we thank you, Lord, just for these encouraging words. Lord, just your word that calls us to be worshipers. That's wonderful. Lord, that our hearts and minds would just be, be focused, would be set ablaze to just worship you. Lord, whether we're in the storm or just we're in a calm sea or a calm time of life, Lord, that worship just marks our life. There's nothing sweeter than to look to our Lord and to have our hearts and minds focused upon you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your mercy Your mercy gave us Jesus. Your mercy met us where we were at. And because of Jesus and that salvation, we've been rescued and redeemed. And we thank you for that. thank you for your mercy towards us, that you are mercy. And Lord, I am so thankful for your comfort. Which can reach to any issue, any problem, any despair, anything that we go through, your comfort can cover it. You love us. We're your children. And Father, may we just find just that wonderful rest and peace and calm in your comfort, in your mercy, your love, your kindness, your tenderness towards us. We ask this in your name.